right, welcome back to The Jig Is Up. Of course, my name's Darcy, and with me, as always, is the smarter of the two of us. Jason, how's it going, buddy? Maybe smarter, but I think you're the better looking one then. <laughs> oh, come on now. <laughs> I, you know, you got a pretty great beard. I don't know, that's pretty pretty tough. Tough to beat. Um, two great beards, one room. Hate to live on the difference. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So here we are again this week. Uh, quite a bit's happened in the last uh, seven days for Métis stuff or since our last podcast. So one of the biggest things, I think, was today the uh, settlements signed a framework agreement with the federal government. And uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Jay? Well, it seems like as the liberal government you know, runs up to the election, it is a fever pitch flurry of... Uh, paperwork signing with uh, Métis people. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of how I feel about this. I want to, I mean, I, I, on one hand, I think this could be a very good thing for the settlements because I think they've kind of been ignored by the federal government for a long time because it is a very much a provincial thing. They're, they're ruled under the Provincial Alberta Settlements Act. And so the federal government's kind of always been like, oh, well, you're, fe- you're provincial, see you later. But at the same time, the reality is this framework is an agreement to have another conversation down the road about reconciliation. And so really it means, hey, if we get reelected, we'll come back to, in, to your settlements and talk to you more about reconciliation. <laughs> that's what it seems like. Yeah. Which really means, and I think that that's the whole point, is the federal government has been reluctant to deal with the settlements because they're under a provincial jurisdiction, which is what essentially the federal government is trying to do to every indigenous person is kick them down to the provincial level. So I think the only reason the provincial, the feds are talking to the, uh, the settlements is a, like you said, it's election time. Uh, and so it's like, if we get elected, we'll be back. Yeah. Uh, and I also think it is true that the many people belong in section 35 of the constitution. And with the Daniels case, of course, as everyone knows, you know, uh, programs and services. So, there, there is that, and the settlements need to find their place within that, you know, uh, framework, as it were. So, you know, good on them. That at least the feds are stepping up to the table. But, you know, obviously this is an election thing. Um, should they not, the libs not get back in, you can guarantee that is not going to be worth the papers written on. But sure would look nice framed on the wall. Well, exactly. And they... I, I do think, you know, in, in good faith, uh, let's pretend that the government was operating for the betterment of its people. Uh, you know, it does give the settlements a bit more of a footing into uh, accessing the government funding on the federal level for housing and for uh, education and things like that. So I think I think that in and of itself is a good thing. I just hope that these promises and these agreements and all these things that the government's doing right now don't simply fall flat and die out, just like nearly every other agreement and right and treaty that's ever been signed between Indigenous people and the colonial government. Um, so I, 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 I hope that it works out, but at the same time, uh, the cynic in me saying, yeah, it's just another piece of paper signed where the government's saying, no, we promise to have more talks. And that's really about it. Yeah, I don't see, I'm not, like I said, I'm a skeptic too as well. I don't, I'm not hopeful that this framework will actually, you know, translate, even if they win the next election, will translate into something concrete. But it is nice to see some federal recognition for the Métis settlements. So I guess that's a win of sorts. But 
again, I think we will all not be here before we see anything really positive uh, come out of this. Yeah, and I, I saw some chatter online about this, uh, and I think there's, uh, even within Métis people, I think there's a little bit of a general misunderstanding about the settlements, because I think some people think that they're part of the Métis National Council, and some people think they're not affiliated whatsoever. But for the settlements, it's kind of a little bit in between, where they have an M&A card, but yet the M&A, the Métis Nation of Alberta, and the MNC have absolutely zero authority on anything that happens on a settlement. So it's kind of an in-between thing. I just wanted to let people know that, I guess. And uh, I don't know if you want to talk more about that, Jay. You, you're certainly more knowledgeable on that than I am. No, I don't know about that. But um, <laughs> it's like all things Métis. We got one foot in two canoes, and that's uh, that's really where the settlements are. Many people on the settlements are M&A members because they believe in what the M&A stands for uh, and more to the point of the history of what the m is supposed to represent and many aren't so it, it really is this dichotomy of a split uh, because the Métis Settlement Council is its own independent thing like you said earlier under the Alberta Act so um, what individual members on the settlements do I guess is really up to them as it were but yeah it's kind of an interesting scenario. Yeah well and it is because uh, even though they have Métis Nation of Alberta cards um, you know, the the settlements themselves aren't don't actually meet like Pauli criteria or anything like that. All of their rights and stuff are actually laid out in the Alberta Settlements Act. Um, so they get to hunt and and harvest and things like that, but that's all laid out in the act. So really, a lot of their legal Métis Indigenous rights uh, stem from being recognized in the Alberta Settlements Act and not necessarily in uh you know, in, in a, like in Powley or anything like that. So it's kind of an interesting conundrum that they're in, I think, a little bit. But but I think this uh, this could be good for them. Uh, the one thing that I think is really good is they're very uh, excited about the idea of, of, you know, a little bit more self-governing, a little bit more uh, autonomous from the provincial government. Because I, I think right now they they have a bit of a provincial government tells them what to do kind of scenario. So maybe this will uh, this will be a step in the right direction to be a little bit more autonomous from the provincial government. I don't know. Well, I think in in one regard it's really good because it gets the settlements uh, the ability to talk to the federal government uh, and begin that negotiation. So they're not completely beholden to the whim of the provincial government and how its monies and and things like that are dealt out. And so it's it's like any organization when you're looking at funding, it's really nice to be able to have that you know, alternative revenue source or that alternative funding source rather than being that one horse pony, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, I think I, I'm, I'm, I guess on one hand, I'm a little excited. On the other hand, I'm still a little cynical. So uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see where it goes from there. But I don't, I don't anticipate there being huge movements further with Métis settlements until after the next election. Um, as far as even funding or securing any type of anything, really. I think that'll all come well after the next election. And I think the well after is the key part to that. Yeah, and I think I think this was a good way for like the Liberal Party to be able to check off a box as to, well, we promise to sign you know framework agreements or whatever it is that their checkbox is for their campaign promises from the last election. So that when this coming election rolls around, they can go, you know what? Look at all these things we did for Indigenous people. We 
And look what we did for the settlement. Look how much we love our Métis people. <laughs> so, so I think it's kind of a checkbox. I agree with you there. All right. So other than that, uh, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff, but I think we had a conversation kind of uh, in between podcasts here. Uh, last time I was up in Whitecourt there. And uh, there, we started talking about something I thought was really interesting. And I, you actually brought up this idea. Uh, and this refers back to the big blue blob map, um, which, by the way, I loved your uh, 12 Métis things of Christmas, Métis Nation things of Christmas on Twitter. That was fantastic. <laughs> um, so if anybody hasn't seen that, you, you should go check out Twitter. It, it was freaking awesome. But, uh, but I think the idea that you brought up was this notion that... Uh, really what the Métis National Council has done has almost effectively killed this Métis identity battle. And uh, I don't maybe you want to expand a little bit more on that, Jay. Well, a little bit. A lot of it stems from the the MNC's move to eliminate uh, the Métis Nation of Ontario, six historic communities. Now, while for me, those communities, you know, obviously they fall outside the blue blob map. They, those people and the citizens of those communities are now essentially they are out of the Métis National Council, no matter what the MNO does. If the MNO wants to stay inside the MNC framework, they're going to have to ditch or jettison those communities. But no matter what happens, those communities are still recognized by the provincial government and the federal government as power proven historic Métis communities. Yeah. So the reality is the the MNC has now acknowledged uh, in their December newsletter that there are historic mixed blood people, as they put it, outside the Métis Nation, have no historic connection to the Métis Nation, but are entitled to those rights uh, under Pauli. And so for me, when you read that, this, this whole uh, rollout uh, that we've talked about from the, the, their General Assembly, uh, from the Métis National Council's Assembly, and with their you know, APTN interviews and now their December publication, they've really made it very clear that they have no problems now admitting that there are other mixed-blood people who will qualify and pass poly. Yeah. And so... You know, so much of our show has been talking about the validity of Eastern Métis uh, outside of the historic Red River community. And I think, finally, I don't know, maybe they were listening to our show or, <laughs> or whatever, but they've, they finally, you know, got a clue that they, they agree with us, that, that that's true. Well, and I think that's a very interesting thing, and I and I noticed that not many people are even really talking about that, other than, you know, how insulting to these communities to be excluded by the Métis National Council. But the truth is, is this like we've we've said in our previous issues or episodes, this could this could actually be a really good thing for Eastern Métis, but it's also a very good thing for any Métis communities who were not part of the MNC, and. Uh, you know, there's a Métis association in Manitoba, and I can't, I'm not French, so I can't say the name of it very well, but it's the oldest one in Manitoba, started by Riel. You guys all know what I'm talking about. And they're not part of the Métis National Council, so the, the attitude from the, the MNC has always kind of been, well, you're not real Métis then, um, which is just, just an idiotic attitude. But And so I think what you brought up was a very, very huge point that I don't think, I've, I haven't seen anybody else really talking about that. 
uh, from that perspective of saying, you know, this kills this battle because, like you just said, they're recognizing that there is people outside of their boundaries that meet the criteria for a, a basically a Métis community, not a Métis nation community. That's different. But a Métis community, rights-bearing, and they've basically said, we don't care. We are the Métis nation. So that's all we're worried about is the Métis nation, not Métis. And uh, I just thought that was a fantastic point of view. I, and I, it almost uh, makes me sad that nobody else is really talking about that, you know? Well, I think we've been so wrapped up and so preoccupied uh, with this conversation of identity and the validity of the identity, the validity of these Eastern historic communities that we all know were there. In this conversation, you know, because the MNC is so well-funded and has, you know, there's so many people trying to capitalize on book deals and academic, you know, furthering of their own careers based on this whole argument, that the truth is that it it really kind of flew under the radar. And it wasn't until I sat down and read the December uh, newsletter from the president himself that it really became clear that the MNC itself has now shifted gears into a different conversation that they themselves or their version of the identity battle now only really lies in the, the word Métis, who owns that word. Uh, and they view that the word, as we talked about before, trademarking Métis nation. And so they want that word Métis to be synonymous with Red River, but they have no problems as of December uh, fully acknowledging uh, historic Métis communities that can pass Pali outs are valid. They, they they have now come into complete alignment with the Daniels case ruling in to say that there are mixed blood historic communities everywhere in Canada. Yeah. And the MNC has now basically said, yeah, that's right. Well, that's just it. And I think uh, w- one of the ways to really, un- you know, for me anyway, to really understand this is, is to understand that they're not talking about uh, being the arbiters of all things Métis. They're talking about being the arbiters of all things Métis Nation. And again, I think uh, you might have even pointed this out on a previous podcast, but it was, you know, when they're trademarking, they're trademarking the Métis Nation. They're trademarking the blue Métis flag um, because they feel that's part of the nation. And so... What they're focused on is, uh, you know, these checkboxes to become recognized by the UN or whoever as a nation, as opposed to actually even caring about who is and who's not Métis. So I I think it's interesting that they've totally shifted past that. And like you said, they've started to, which is in line with Daniels, um, which I don't think they did on purpose, but I think they just have a very different goal now. And they're working towards that goal, which actually is to the benefit of everybody outside of the outside of the cartel. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've really watched them shift gears. Like you said, they're trying to to tick all the boxes to claim equal standing. Um, when we say First Nation, we almost see that the Métis Nation wanting to insert itself in that category. So yes. when we say First Nations, the Métis Nation wants to be part of that collective. That's this whole move. To say we had historic territory that we defended, we have our own uh, regalia, we have our own uh, dancing, we have our own flag. And that's why when you say First Nations, the Métis Nation wants to be included in that collective. Uh, And that's why it claims only that specific territory. And it's given up on this notion of, uh, you know, uh, Daniels uh, 
and Pauli being significant to the identification of uh, historic Métis communities as they see them regarding the Métis nation, which they made very clear in their December newsletter. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think that's probably the most interesting part of all of what's happened, really. I mean, we can, we've talked about a lot of the other stuff on past episodes here in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, but the truth is, is I think, you know, this touches on something that I think is a vital consequence to anybody outside that cartel. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's definitely something that I think people should start understanding is that, you know, we no longer, on the flip side of this, we no longer have to care about what the Métis Nation's doing because they're they're doing their own thing now. They're not, I mean, other than the MOU with the Mi'kmaq, the reality is is they're focused on the Métis Nation and they're focused on making sure that all of their members understand that their Indigenous rights come from the Métis Nation. All of their uh, the citizenship comes from the Métis Nation and everything's originating from the Métis Nation. As opposed to the rest of us who are like, well, no, but our, our rights come from our indigeneity. Our rights come from who we are, not what organization's card we have. And so all the rest of us now, we don't have to worry about the Métis Nation other than they're annoying and they're over there. But we can now focus on our communities, our organizations, our, you know, community building. And I, I really I really think a lot of these academics even that love to fight about it, I mean... I don't follow a lot of them on purpose, but I, I think it's been fairly quiet on Twitter now as far as this battle. Um, you still have these nationalists, but their truth is, is their arguments have completely been negated by their own organization, which is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, we have a couple um, you know, of our favorite university professors who are in the midst of uh, book writings and about book publishings. So we, we'll see a little bit of that. Um, you know, your favorite uh, white guy of mine running around, you know, as the expert <laughs> to Métis identity. He'll be with us for a little while longer. Yes. Because he has a book to publish. Yep. But really, in the upcoming months uh, moving forward from this position, um, I think the whole conversation is about to change and really shift. It's going to be about who, who authentically has Section 35 rights. It's not even about programs and services if we see... Uh, you know, the conversation that the MNC is putting forward isn't about programs and services under uh, 9124. It's completely using this nationalistic language for validation to say, see, First Nations are included in Section 35 because they're nations. The Inuit are in Section 35 because they're a nation. Mm. And the Métis are a Métis nation. And so they're in Section 35 but half-breed, mixed-blood people may be entitled to programs and services. They may be, and those programs and services can include in the, in the Métis Nation's mind, include harvesting. Yeah. They include those kinds of things. But only nations, as they put in, the, in their December letter, and this is what I found really interesting, only nations, as they say, have rights to land and resources. And that is really what this game is all about. They view Section 35 as the negotiating tool now, uh, the framework, if you like, that the, the MNC is going to use to uh, talk about land and resources. And so the whole conversation has now really, the landscape has shifted quite radically. It's no longer about who's, who is validly uh, mixed blood Métis and who's not. You know, 
Yeah. Uh, we, they've, they've clearly turned in, inward and said, we honestly don't care. We don't care about those six communities. We don't care that the provincial government and the federal government recognizes them. They don't have ties to the Red River Nation. So they might be mixed blood. That's fine. That's cool with them. They can have the rights. They can have their harvesting. And what the conversation is about, they're not a nation, though. And because they're not a nation, they're not entitled, as the, as the Métis National Council sees it, to Section 35 rights. But it's not longer about identity, then. Exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think uh, there's probably a multitude of reasons for doing this. And I think one of them is is this huge settlement that's coming from the government uh, that the MMF, you know, they say they won or negotiated, but really it was the courts that said, no, they didn't, you know, crowned it, it failed to uphold their honor. Um, but there's a huge settlement coming there. And I think part of that is some land. Uh, and so I think what they've really done is they've said, okay, well, if we get this land, let's say we get one acre of land even, well, now we're a nation with a punk piece of land. doesn't matter where, doesn't matter how much, but we're a nation because we have that hunk of land now. Whereas all these other communities, well, yeah, but you're a community, but you don't actually have your own land. You're a landless people still. So you're not a nation. You can, you never will be. Um, and so I, I absolutely think you're right. I mean, that's where a huge part of this is, is, uh, they're looking at it from that land and resource base to to be a nation, as opposed to we're still over here trying to figure out who's Métis, and while they're they've taken that next step, and uh, and I think it's a it's a sign for everybody else to start thinking about the next step for for all the other Métis that are out there that are not part of the cartel. What is the next step for them as well? How do they get to be, you know, a land based people outside of the cartel? And uh, that's a very interesting question. I don't know how you get there, though. I don't know what the framework is to get there. Well, I, yeah, um, and that's going to be very tough. Um, I think first and foremost, we, we need to, you know, become educated and realize it's time to shift the conversation ourselves. It's no longer about an identity argument. It's no longer, you know, there's no, there's no real need anymore to talk about our Eastern Métis valid. We can ignore people like, you know, Professor L and uh, the likes, because they're just <laughs> going to run out their book deals. They're going to do their thing. And it's really an irrelevant conversation. It has, yeah. Because we need, we, it, it, it really is relevant. So we would really need to move to say, okay, if it's not about identity anymore, and it doesn't matter how much historical evidence is that you have for your community, no one cares anymore. There's yeah. not a cartel out there that gives t- two iotas anymore. How many Métis communities pass Pali in Ontario or should, you know, you know, Jesus really return and, and Quebec comes online and we finally can establish historic Métis communities there. Um, they don't care. Yep. They have now drawn a boundary and said anything that falls outside of this blue area, we don't care. Yeah. You know, pass Pali as much as you like. Is, is You're not connected to the, the Red River Métis Nation, so... Do whatever you want. Well, and and so I, I think that's a real opportunity. We need to wake wake up to that fact. Absolutely, and I think in in that article that you were talking about, oh, um, in that uh, the newsletter you were talking about, I think he even says that where he says, uh, you know, they're they're focused on on the Métis Nation and land and resources as opposed to, but I think they very much acknowledge that uh, there there could be Métis that are not part of the Métis Nation. Um, because they're not looking for Métis. They're looking for Métis Nation. Um, and they've, they've, 
It sounds like a silly distinction, but I think for them and for the rest of us, that's a very important distinction is they're trying to brand up and solidify this term Métis Nation, while the rest of us are going, yeah, but we're all Métis. Well, but I think we have to understand that Métis means something different to each one of us for very different reasons. I don't, I honestly don't believe that the, the cartel has any one even one ounce of care about uh, Métis culture, Métis, uh, any you know anything culturally Métis other than if it benefits them and they can trademark it. I think what they really care about is just putting on this show of being a nation. So when you when when you talk Métis to most normal people, you, you I think right away you have this image of like you know sashes and you know cultural things and Métis being on the land and trappers and fur traders and all this hunting and that's kind of what the mental image you bring up whereas with these guys it seems like the term Métis to them is you know political and it's about a land base and it's about congealing together to form this this nation of people and being very nationalistic in their thoughts whereas that's really not to the rest of us what it's about it's not being one big conglomerate nationalistic group of people. <laughs> it really was a community yeah, I, to begin with. Yeah, there's no pan Métis, right? Like there's no pan yeah. Blackfoot, there's no pan Anishinaabe, there's no pan Cree. But I think that's what we have to keep in mind is the MNC, first and foremost, is run by lawyers. Uh, the Métis National Council president himself is a lawyer. Yeah, And so we have to be very aware that these guys have a very legal mindset they are trying to move their organization to meet legal requirement for and they, they spell this all very clearly um, when they talk in the, the president's letter they want to meet the legal requirement for aboriginal title as they call it and and they're very clear to say that there's a very big difference between um, aboriginal harvesting rights and there's the you know, and between establishing aboriginal title to land and resources and to the MNC, they're 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 very right. Uh, those are two different things with the Canadian government. Um, as Indigenous people, establishing harvesting rights is not the same thing as uh, establishing land and resources, right? Absolutely. Yep. The MNC is very very clear that the whole point of their nationalism is to be included in the First Nations group as a first peoples entitled to Section 35. And basically, like you said earlier, with the Manitoba Métis settlement, that's going to be coming once one land comes, one acre. They get one acre of land. You're basically going to see a Métis res is what they're looking for. They want the same Aboriginal title as a reservation has, the same classifications as a reservation has, uh, for that equal standing, as it were, to First Nations, that is that's their that's where this legal rhetoric is going. Absolutely, absolutely. My fear with all of that for the the, the citizens of this Métis Nation is that uh, what you're working towards is basically a reserve system with an Indian Act. Only it's a Métis, you know, land base with a Métis Act, and I I don't think that's really the direction that people really should ever want to go is towards the Indian Act, towards reserves. Um, I mean, let's face it, reserves are segregations. They're, they're, (laughs) 
They're about as big a segregation as you can get. One one elder I have here in Calgary, uh, he he calls them, uh, you know, concentration camps for Indigenous people. And so I, I don't know if you, you, you want to rush towards that, but it seems like they want to simply because they want, uh, as you said, the, the rights to land and resources. So because of that, they're rushing headlong into this um, full speed. Well, the rest of us are still back on, well, I want to hunt. <laughs> and and that being a program that can be provided, I mean, there is there is actually multiple ways you could probably negotiate a hunting arrangement with the province, any province. Um, it's just a matter of who's the better negotiator. So that really boils down to being a program as much as a right, and that's a provincial thing, not a federal thing. And I think they're really... They're really trying to get to out from underneath the provinces. And uh, with the new framework agreement and what we understand of that, where they're going to essentially, the idea being they give uh, Indigenous people autonomy or, or self-government as is a municipality kind of thing. Um, you know, I think that's something that's very attractive to the Métis Nation. And so that would make sense why they're heading directly for that. Well, and, and and to be fair, let, let's be honest, Métis people, uh, we don't have any land. And so as, you know, we look at our First Nations relations and right now there's, you know, this conversation to get out from under the Indian Act, right? Like, because it's so horrible. But at the same time, I mean, it is horrible. It's, it's terrible. But at the same time, uh, you know, they are provided with uh, land, communal land. They're provided with uh, programming. They're provided with minimal benefits, you know. And even as shitty as all those things are, it's better than it's more than what Métis people get as a collective. We yep. don't have as a co- collective any of those things. Yes. So, in in some regards, yeah, wouldn't it be nice if Métis people had a land base, um, even if it was a reservation under the Indian Act? It would be a land base, and that's better than nothing, isn't it? And I think that's the point that the MNC is trying to make is that there, there's this inequality even under the Indian Act between uh, First Nations and Métis people. And uh, I don't necessarily agree with this, but I do, real, I do realize what they're trying to do is get it basically what we talked about in the last episode is a Métis Act for the Métis Nation that will establish a reserve for Métis people. It will provide them with the equivalent of a First Nations assembly uh, setting, uh, if you will. And so I understand what they're doing. I think for the rest of us, the great opportunity is they've already said they don't give a crap what we do. So if yep. we want to negotiate harvesting rights, like like you said, if we want to, you know, exercise our Aboriginal title, which they say, hey, you, you know, if you have Aboriginal title, you you should be able to get harvesting rights. They, you know, he's, they say that, you know. Uh, so why don't why aren't we doing that? I think that's the real conversation we need to start having is how do we now, uh, as people outside the cartel. Uh, start moving towards a conversation of saying, well, hey, if we don't have to start talking about proving our communities or trying to talk about being valid anymore, this really boils down to how do we now pull our resources together to approach and, and keep pushing forward with our provincial counterparts then to get more communities to pass Poly, uh, so that we can continue to establish those historic communities in, in Eastern territories. Well, absolutely, and I, and I think for a lot of Métis, this frees them up from having to uh, answer as to, well, you know, you're not Métis Nation, so, you know, that means you're not really Métis, or or fighting against that stereotype or stigma, because now the, the Métis Nation has said, no, no, we don't care. Yeah, go be Métis, 
just don't be Métis Nation. Just don't say those two words. But otherwise, go be Métis, Mixed Blood, Half Breed, Bra Brulee, Voyager, whatever you want to call yourselves, just go do that and have fun and get your harvesting rights. We don't care. And so I think for the rest of us, it's really an opportunity to first take a breath because we've you know this battle's been going on for for decades and decades and decades. So we kind of can take a breath and sit back for like two seconds and think, okay, well, now that we don't have to try to, you know, convince people that there's Métis outside the Métis Nation, because they're even admitting it, what else, you know, what can we move on to next? And I think that to me is the greatest thing about this is, and that's why I was so excited to, to have this conversation on the show, was just because I think that's a huge opportunity for any Métis community any Métis organization um, outside of the cartel to actually start focusing on other things and not waste your energy fighting and and proving yourself beyond what the Métis nation says because they don't care anymore. So now I don't have to prove myself to anybody. All we have to do is congeal our identity within ourselves and be our own self-directed thing. Maybe we want to become a federation of communities. Well, that's great. You can do that because Métis Nation doesn't care. So, um, and I think that's, that's for me, is the very optimistic part of this and the very exciting part is we can now look at other things. We can focus on other areas. We can focus, like you said, on finding our, our harvesting rights or just simply proving that our communities existed or, um, you know, I guess getting acceptance for our communities. That's right. It's really about acceptance. We're no longer in this identity crisis of what does it mean to be Métis? Who's Métis? What, how do you use that word? Who do you apply it to? Who's eligible to to term it? You know, even from so much as for me personally, you know, if they want to trademark the blue flag and that's somehow going to be their thing, whatever, use the red one. <laughs> you know, I'm not that tied <laughs> up into it. We, you know, Eastern Métis, we can fly the red flag if it, if it keeps the prairie brothers happy that we're not appropriating that the precious blue flag fly the red one yeah um you know and it, it makes our brother brothers on the prairies happy uh, that we're not appropriating their flag and we don't use the word metis and nation together if that's what makes them feel secure in their identity more power to them i don't have a problem with that um but we're free now to have this conversation about saying how do we now coalesce our voices that we already know there's so much of this historical evidence. We already know where our communities in the East are. We know how long they've been there. We know who their members are. Let's start showcasing that, that the Métis people in the East, the outside of this blue bomb map are a strong people, a proud people, a historic people. And now we have the opportunity to be free to really focus that energy on, on moving away from trying to validate uh, through these evidences or these conversations uh, to just showcasing what they are. And I, I think what a beautiful time and opportunity to roll into a new year, uh, you know, to watch this whole conversation shift right over the holidays to break in. You know, we're coming up to the, the winter solstice here and all of a sudden, boom, we can roll into the new year with a new conversation and a new new framework to, you know, uh, coalesce things. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I uh, was thinking about a conversation I had a while ago with um, a friend of ours, uh, not uh, like a friend of my family's, and, uh, you know, this person's an academic, and uh, they were talking about how, well, if you're not from, you know, Red River, you're not Métis and stuff like that. And, and so we kind of got in a little bit of a heated debate about that. But um, <laughs> the bottom line is, is those conversations are done because it's no longer about proving you're from Red River to be Métis. 
that that's done. So honestly, it's almost like a lot of stress off people. Um, I know that there is a lot of people uh, that get really stressed out about this, have a lot of anxiety about it. A lot of people that are uh, very afraid to come and say they're Métis because you don't know how people are going to react and blah, blah, blah. Well, now you don't have to worry about that. That stress is gone. That anxiety should can can go away now. Because all you have now is you say, no, I'm not Red River Métis, never claimed to be. That's not my. That was never my claim. My claim is I'm from Sault Ste. Marie. And I'm a, you know, I'm a rights-bearing Métis. And nobody can say that you're not, because you are. If you're from Sault Ste. Marie and you're Métis, well, guess what? You're a rights-bearing Métis. But you, you just don't, I'm not part of the Métis Nation, but I don't have to be. See, that's the great thing, too, is what they've essentially said is you don't, you, you no longer, for years and years and years, they were trying to get everybody who's Métis to be in the cartel and uh, restrict that definition to what they wanted. And if you weren't inside that, you were not Métis. But now they've given up on that battle, and so now the rest of us can take that breath and just relax, take it easy. We don't have to fight on Twitter anymore with certain academics and, and non-Indigenous uh, p- identifying people that think they're experts, because really all that stuff is just wasted energy now. It's just it's stress that you're putting yourself yeah, under really, for no reason. It is. It's really over. Yeah. And so I, I'm very yeah, excited. as long as you never self-identify as Métis Nation— yeah, this is a great thing. I mean, what a Christmas gift to get, uh, you know, right over the holidays to, to know that this uh, Métis identity politics issue is, you know, put to rest. And I mean, what what a way to end it out is who put that to rest? The Métis National Council themselves. They basically, you know, capitulated to the Daniels ruling. So, you know, Merry Christmas, everybody. You don't yeah. have to uh, go, go into 2019 fighting about uh, the validity of your identity. You can merely say I'm Métis, but I'm not Métis Nation. Exactly. And and really that, I think, if for, for myself anyway, I mean, that's that's the bottom line. I mean, I, I've always said even if I was Red River-based Métis and I could prove it and, you know, I had everything, I don't think I'd want to be part of these organizations. I wouldn't want to be part of the cartel. But that's my own personal choice, not everybody's. Um, and I understand that. But even still, this I you know, there's a lot of breathing room here now for even people that, you know, are Red River Métis, but maybe they don't want to be part of those organizations and never have. Because I've met a lot of people that are not part of the cartel, but could be. Or they were at one point and they gave up and threw out their card and haven't renewed for 20 years. Well, now it gives a lot of freedom for those people to find an organization that better suits them or, or find a community, you know, get together with people within a community that are maybe better suited for them or better ideologically situated for them. So I think in all reality, this frees up a lot of people and it frees up a lot of Métis to kind of really figure out what's be- what they think is best for them and who, what part of or what organization they want to be part of or how they want to celebrate their Métis-ness. Uh, but the, at the end of the day, there's just so much stress and anxiety that's gone. And I just think that's an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what 2019 brings. Honestly, for a lot of Métis organizations, I think, you know, you have the Métis Federation of Canada, you have some other organizations, and I think there's so much opportunity out there, and I'm really excited to see kind of what's going to happen with these organizations. Yeah, and I mean, we have six communities that no matter what happens within, the, you know, the 2019 uh, calendar year, there's going to be six communities in Ontario that are outside the MNC uh, that are rights-bearing, that are historic, 
that are recognized at the government level. And all we have to do is continue to work hard to get more of those communities recognized in Eastern Canada and outside the blue blob map. So, uh, you know, we got our work cut out for us. Uh, it's going to be an exciting time. And I think like never before, uh, we have, uh, f- you know, where we can be relaxed about knowing who we are, where we come from, our communities and everything else. And now it's to be able to put that into a, a momentum to capitalize on this opportunity to move on from the identity conversation, this, you know, Métis identity war that's been going on for, for far too long. And it, you know, here it is. We have an opportunity, like you said, there's some really great organizations out there, some very community first organizations that we can, you know, utilize some of those tools to bring communities together, to show, start to showcase the rich tapestry of culture and history. That is the Métis people of the East. And I, I look forward to that in 2019. Absolutely. And I, you know, and I think it's a great opportunity for Métis outside of the cartel to, to even uh, potentially coalesce together uh, into whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, if you want to use terms like Métis Federation or Métis Community, whatever, I don't know, Métis Community Council or something. But I think there's a lot of opportunity now for communities say in the East and, and now even in the West, like British Columbia and stuff like that, to kind of go, well, you know, we have more in common than we have in differences. So why don't why don't we kind of join up a little bit, even if it's unofficially, just to just just to show support for each other. And so I think I think that's the, the you know it, it's funny because I think this is the first time, at least since we've been doing this podcast, that I I've actually been really optimistic about what can be done in the next 12, 24, 36 months uh, within the Métis world. Um, because before it was just, you're always in the trenches, you're always in that battle, you're always in the fight. And it's it's like the other side just gave up and, and walked away. And, you know, now we don't have to take the hill, they gave up the hill. So now we can just walk on top and sit in the sunshine. And um, it's kind of a weird feeling, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm not used to being positive and, and hopeful when it comes to this stuff. Well, yeah. Well, and and the thing is, how much you think of all the energy we've spent in the last, you know, few years uh, doing this and traveling and talking to people and podcasts and YouTube and, you know, these different kinds of things and trying to get together with people in the last few years to have these conversations about identity, the validity of Métis identity as, you know, a multiverse of expression across Canada, not a pan idea. You know, look how many hours of, of shows we've done and the conversations. You know, look how excited we were when the Daniels case uh, came out and what a great victory that was for Métis people to see even the federal government to recognize historic Métis communities, even in the Maritimes. You know, to have that decision from the Supreme Court of Canada. And yet to still, after that, have this w- war that went on of identity politics. And here we are, you know, at the end of, of 2018, where the Métis National Council has finally, finally with their lawyers, sat down and recognized the implications of the Daniels ruling, which is at the Supreme Court of Canada level, uh, that says and recognizes, you know, that it, the, you know, you can spin Métis into whatever you want, but the, the Supreme Court of Canada sided with the dictionary. <laughs> yeah. So there, there you have it. And, and so for the first time, I think, you know, we're going to have a hard time adjusting. I mean, what, what are we going to tweet about? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. If, if, I, if, I, if I don't have to talk about the validity of uh, being a Métis person from Ontario, then 
you know, or Quebec, well, what, I, what I'm going to tweet about. <laughs> you know, it gives us an opportunity to really take a breath um, because I don't have to, I don't have to validate my community on social media. It doesn't matter uh, what historical evidences I have. The, it, social media doesn't care anymore and neither does the Métis Nation. Absolutely. And I, I think the other positive thing for this too is I think there's a lot of communities, even within that blue blob map, who who felt probably a lot of pressure to conform to that cartel in order to receive funding, in order to be considered Métis, in order to continue to be uh, looked at by the government or, or, you know, considered by the provincial government. And I think this gives it a great opportunity for them to go, well, we haven't liked being part of the cartel for, te- for a decade now. So, well, you don't have to now. You can be a rights-bearing Métis community outside of the cartel, even within that homeland. And so, really, this frees up the whole country. And even within that blue blob map, it frees up everybody to go, yeah, I don't, I don't need to be part of the cartel now to be a rights-bearing Métis. I, I, I just, it's, it's not needed. I just, if I want to be part of the Métis nation... Well, that's one thing, but I don't have to be now. And I I think that's a really amazing thing um, that, that maybe people need to put some thought into is as a community, if if you've got a, let's say you're in northern Saskatchewan, uh, we went there and, and we met a lot of people there. Well, let's say they don't want to be part of the cartel. They don't like the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan, how it's run and all the corruption and the wasted money and blah, blah, blah. And they don't like Clem Chartier. Well, guess what? You don't have to be part of them anymore. You don't have to have their cards. And the government will still recognize you as a rights-bearing Métis community, as Métis people. And I, So I think this provides a huge opportunity, not only for Eastern Métis, or, you know, say Métis in BC, or, or further north in the territories, or wherever. I think it really provides a lot of opportunity for all Métis people to really step back and go, do we really, A, want to be part of the Métis nation? or And do we really need to be? part of that. And I, I think it's, I think that's something that I've always wanted Métis people to consider because, you know, when you look at UNDRIP, we have the right to choose who represents us politically. It doesn't have to be the cartel anymore. And I think that's so amazing. Well, I, I think we, yeah, exactly. It's, and I think that's an interesting point to make is that it doesn't have to, we don't have to mimic uh, the government in how we represent ourselves. And this really, really frees up uh, people and it frees up communities that we can really have a community first uh, approach to uh, who we are, how we function, our historic background, um, and, and be able to work within a new framework because we don't have to talk about identity. It's not about who's authentically Métis. We can say, well, I'm not, I, you know, I can confess, you know, wholeheartedly, I'm not authentically Red River Métis Nation. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. But that doesn't invalidate my identity anymore. And I don't have to go around, you know, with them, this ongoing narrative. I think it's going to be with us for a while. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. But I don't think, it, you know, with, with this move, the Métis National Council has pretty much said they've got bigger fish to fry now. They're off. Yeah. To pursue yeah. Section 35 for land and resources. And, Everyone else, you're on your own. Do whatever you like. And I think that's the whole point is, what is it that we want to do in 2019? Yes. And I think that's a huge opportunity. Like you said, take a deep breath. You know, if we're free to now say, okay, it's not about, 
you know, this government funded, you know, funded bully trying to police everyone who's Métis. <laughs> you know, we're free from that. Yeah. Uh, the policeman is gone. He's he's went home. He said, I capitulate. The hill's yours. I'm done. Well, okay. Then if we're not having a conversation about who's authentically, uh, you know, a Métis, then uh, what are we going to talk about? Exactly. Well, we should be really talking about then how do we turn the tide then and say, let's work together. How do we unify our communities and bring these you know, historic communities together? The ones we know that are there. Absolutely. You know? yeah. There's lot, lots of historic communities in the East that still haven't, you know, got rights. And, you know, you're looking at the, the poor Métis communities in Quebec with the oppressive government system that they have there with the Métis, with the, the Quebecois nationalism. You know, there's a lot of good we could be doing if we stopped talking about who's authentically Métis and we started said, hey, let's, how do we unify and put more historic Métis communities on the map? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you made a good point about the fact that this, the, the identity battle is still going to happen, um, at least for a little while. Uh, I think a lot of it is going to start to really die out as soon as, as we mentioned earlier, uh, certain academics finish publishing their books or their academic papers or their whatever they are trying to do to get tenor or, you know, make money. But realistically, that's a dying pursuit. Uh, so they'll finish up what they got, but they're going to have to move on because, you know, you can say, well, you're not Métis Nation. You're right. Thank you. Well, there's no battle to have there. We're not trying to be Métis Nation. And so I think... Um, you know, realistically, this this just is a total game changer for everybody. And uh, like, I, I, <laughs> I just don't see how, you know, five years from now, we'll still be having this identity battle because it, it's irrelevant. We're not trying to prove we're, a Mate, we're part of the Métis Nation. We're trying to simply, as you said, um, you know, prove our community in the Canadian legal system meets the requirements. But that's a whole different game. That's a whole different conversation. That's That has really nothing to do with identity and more to do with colonial proof and the colonial court system. But, I mean, there's lots of Métis communities that maybe won't pass a Pauli test or, or won't, you know, meet those standards. Even if you're in Quebec, there's a low chance you're going to meet a Pauli standard. They're just not going to recognize you. And I think recently they, there was a court decision that were just to kind of prove that, where on the Ontario side, it's a recognized Métis community on... But as soon as you cross that, you know, imaginary boundary, it's no longer a Métis community. So there's going to be shit like that happening that we're still going to be fighting. But these academics and stuff, you, know, you don't even got to worry about them anymore. They're totally irrelevant, you know. No, I, but I think that's the beauty of it, though, is that we can now start to unify ourselves and say, look, at who really is our opponent in, the, in this game of, of fighting to get what what's ours restored to us is the colonial government. Yes. Uh, and it's in its levels of bureaucracy. Yes. That's where our focus can shift to now. How do we bring our communities together? How do we showcase our rich culture? How do we, you know, showcase that rich tapestry of these historic communities? And then how do we work together now as a collective to butt heads with the government so that we can get our due? That's really what this conversation, I think, is exciting going into 2019. We've got court cases that need to go forward. We've got battles that need to get fought but now it's all with the colonial government not with over who's authentic and who's not absolutely and and i will be very happy to see some of these academics either leave the arena and stop trying to capitalize on indigenous identity issues 
or focus on actual, uh, you know, other indigenous history and move away from this. So I'm looking forward to the slowdown of this conversation. And I, to those of us out there, you know, Eastern Métis or, or Métis outside of the cartel who've been fighting that battle, you know, take a break from social media. Take, take a week off. Take five days. Just don't tweet. Or if you do tweet, just tweet happy stuff like pictures of puppies and flowers. But the truth is, I think once we step away from it and we and we realize that, hey, you know, we don't have to fight, uh, you know, these academics anymore because their opinion is totally irrelevant. It it boils down to the fact that it really and truly is just their opinion now. And it doesn't matter. Um, And they have no validity to come in to a place they've never even lived and tell me who I am. And uh, I think that's a very powerful thing. So I, I hope to those, you know, those warriors out there that were battling this for the last, you know, 35, 40, 50 years, um, I hope you can take a breath. I really hope you can step back and, and just realize that, hey, now we can move on to some stuff that's really enjoyable, maybe even. <laughs> as far as... Well, well, first and foremost, congratulations. You know, pat yourselves on the back. It's been a long, hard road for a lot of people who've endured a lot of criticisms and insults, a lot of attacks, a lot of, uh, you know, sleepless nights and hurt feelings, uh, you know, that to get us to here. And it was because of those people who were putting those evidences out there, writing those books, you know, never letting up about the authenticity of a multiverse of, of Métis identity that we got to here. And we're finally seeing the fruition of all that. And I think it's time now to move on in the conversation and admit that we won. And the Métis National Council has conceded. The Daniels case proves our point. And now we need to take it as a win. It's been given to us as a win, virtually on a silver platter. The hill's been conceded. And so now it's time to stop talking identity and let's show social media what our communities really are all about. That's what I'm looking forward to in 2019. I want to see the the goings on of these communities i want to see the the red flags waved i want to see and hear the music and the, the different gatherings that are going on of these beautiful tapestries of communities to no longer just talk about their historical evidence for the validity but i want to see their present day context i'm looking so forward to that conversation moving into the new year absolutely i i agree with you 100 percent uh, I think that's a great note to end it on. I think, um, as you said, hey, this this is a bunch, this is a huge victory. Uh, so you know, ra- and even rather than continuing to criticize the uh, the cartel and their blue blob map that was arbitrarily picked for the most part, you know, let's just accept it. Say, you know what, you guys have your blue blob. The rest of us are going to go and and focus on our communities, our culture, our people and fighting the good fight with the people we need to fight it with, which is the government, and we can coalesce together. We can, we don't have to, but we have choices now. We have freedom now from this overarching um, cartel that used to be there that, like you said, has conceded to the Daniels decision and moved on to focusing on something else to their benefit. And the rest of us can go, awesome, Let's let's move forward. So... I I, uh, I thought it was a really I'm I'm so glad that you brought this up uh, last week when I was there and I I have to give full credit to you Jason for for even thinking this so uh, as <laughs> as smart as I think I am sometimes I uh, I did not think this up so to those of you out there hey if you thought we had uh, some stupid points or maybe you agree with us send us an email at metipodcast at gmail dot com and uh, 
I don't know if you got any last words, Jason, but uh, or we. No, I look forward to uh, you know if anybody wants to engage us on social media. You know, uh, Darcy and I are both on Twitter, uh, and so you can hit us up there uh, to continue the conversation. I hope everyone has uh, a time to reflect about uh, what uh, 2019 holds in store when we don't have to talk about identity. Yeah, and hey, we're moving into the Christmas season. Uh, I know you know some people don't celebrate Christmas. Some people do. Don't care. Uh, what I really care about is take some time to spend time with your family, your community, have fun, enjoy some food and, and laughs and good times in the winter weather. And when you come back into 2019, if you did anything with your community, share those pictures on social media. Let's start highlighting the amazing uh, uniqueness of Métis culture across this country and across this land. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys, uh, we will be back before Christmas, but, uh, or actually we won't. We'll be back on Christmas Day for another rant and a rave. So until Christmas Day, for both Jason and I, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses, a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light.